Hey everybody, we're back. This is Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. And uh, we had a little break, but we're back for 2022. We're excited to be here. And we're excited we got a great guest, some great albums. And uh, we hope you had a great holiday season and uh, hope you're you're doing well. Um, Jason Daphnis, Indiana's second favorite son. How are you? Oh my goodness, Who who's first? Well, we might get to that later. Oh boy. Uh, in a little bit. Teaser. Japes aside, feels really good to be back in the in the pilot seat here. Yeah, no, it's been it's it's been t- too long, but it was a nice break. We're pleased to be welcoming a great guest to kick off 2022, a good friend of ours, a former colleague of mine. You might know him from Giant Bomb, Game Informer, uh, Fire Escape Cast, Panning the Stream, Twitch, General Internet Rascal, Man About hey. Town, Dan Reichert. Hello, Matt Helgerson. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's really, uh, it's nice to catch up with you, man. It's been too long since I think we went to a bar one time, like now, probably like two and a half years ago or something. Yeah, I was and, in town for a buddy's wedding, I think, and we we sat down and uh, had some beers at the Spring Street Tavern. I enjoyed. Yes, that. and then the whole world shut down, and we haven't yeah. done anything since then. That was shortly um, after. Hey, but we can talk this time without having to play like a, a bad uh, PS One or, or watch Tim Curry play a bad PlayStation One survival horror game like we used <laughs> exactly, to. Exactly, exactly. Um, so. The first album is Dan's pick, and I, I was actually, Dan, I was really surprised. I, I totally was just prepared for it to be Exile on Main Street by the Stones, mm. but you went a different direction, an, an interesting direction. I'm kind of glad you went this way, because this has been sort of a fascinating listen for me. <laughs> um, this is billed as a Guns N' Roses album, but it's really the work of one man, a man with a vision, a man with a plan, mm-hmm. who did something they said couldn't be done. Yep, a plan. Uh, <laughs> it was all well planned out. Everything went exactly the way he wanted it to, and, and also in in brief time, he really just yes, he got he, yeah. he knocked this one out. He did just got in the studio, knocked it out like the Ramones, one, two, three, four. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, of course, we're talking about Indiana's first favorite son, William mm-hmm. Axel Rose. Um, he's from Lafayette, Indiana. Jason, you you're an insider. What, uh, what can you tell us about Lafayette? Uh, everything lines up. I'll say uh, now. It all makes sense. It's all coming together. <laughs> Okay, it is the county seat of Tippecanoe County, but you already knew that. Um, I, I, yes, <laughs> confidently, I could have told you that. I just figured that was too much information so for this seems, podcast. It seems like an Axel Rose, Izzy Stradlin kind of town, is what you're saying? Yeah, uh, you could definitely see the kind of place that births them. Was Izzy <laughs> okay. from there as well? Were they, it's been yeah. a long time. I used to be a, a real uh, history buff with uh, GNR, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of forgot so, about Izzy being there. So Izzy and Axel were like high school buddies, and they, they got on a bus, you know, the, the video thing, and I think rolled out. I think Axel might have came first though, and then Izzy followed him later. Okay. And then they were in Hollywood Rose, and then a bunch of bands, and then L.A. Guns and Hollywood Rose. Right, um, it was that documentary, the uh, Welcome to the Jungle video, where he gets off the bus with the thing of hay in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's because you're a hayseed from Indiana. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta yeah. do it. Yeah, that's where um, I met the real rascals with the Slash and Duff and all those guys. <laughs> yeah, um, we're nowhere to be seen on this album. <laughs> no, this is uh, this is of course we're talking about Chinese democracy, um, which I looked it up. It, it's probably outside of maybe Smile by the Beach Boys. It was probably the most like storied, unfinished album of all time for many, many years. I think about fifteen years or seventeen years in production. Reportedly, thirteen million dollar album, making it the most expensive album ever recorded. Um, there is a number of different people on here that did stuff. Maybe they had their stuff erased. Maybe new people were brought in. Uh, Buckethead, um, <laughs> Ron Bumble- Bumblefoot. You had Buckethead and Bumblefoot. You had Tommy Stinson, the replacements. So, uh, it's kind of a I mad you, libs of like... What if I told you I had a Thanksgiving dinner with Bumblefoot? You did? Yes. Why? 
because my brother-in-law, oh, Tom right. Ronda of Thank You Scientist, is, uh, you know, he's big in like kind of the prog scene and, and knows mm-hmm. a lot of those like, you know, virtuoso guitarist types, himself being one of them. And uh, so, yeah, I went to, when I uh, met my now wife, Bianca, I went back uh, for the holidays for Thanksgiving one time and just Bumblefoot was there. Like, I don't know Whoa. if he was in town. I don't know where he lives, but he's friends with my brother-in-law. And so just imagine me, like, he's probably been asked a million things about GNR and everything. And, like, he's probably bored because he has his own solo stuff and GNR was just a blip on the radar. But I'm just sitting across the table from Bumblefoot, and I just want to ask so many questions about recording Chinese democracy. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the stories are legendary. Like, they built the chicken coop because Buckethead had to perform inside a chicken coop. And watch porn um, in it, and dogs started shitting in it. Yeah. And yeah I yeah. think, actually, though, I was looking up some stories. And I think the craziest one in a weird way to me is that... um for a while, uh, Josh Freeze, who's kind of a, he's like a super drummer. He's in a, a perfect circle. I saw him play for Devo. I saw him play for the replacements on their reunion. He was in the Vandals, like Eurobarge from Tony Hawk. Anyway, great drummer. And he did all the drum parts. And then Axel and him had a falling out. So yeah. Axel decided that he didn't want any drumming by Josh Freeze on this thing. So he hires uh, Brian Brain from Primus, who's also an amazing drummer. He hires a Hollywood, like, Guys that write scores for like orchestras and stuff. He takes a number of months to transcribe all of Josh Freeze's drum parts. And then he had um, Brian Brain come in and perform them all exactly to the every drum beat identically to Josh Freeze. Just that can't so it was easy, right? I've never played drums. So that doesn't <laughs> no. seem like an easy thing to do. But also, it's insane because it doesn't sound any different. You know what I mean? It's just the fact that he didn't want it to be Josh Freeze. So it's just this petty thing where it's yes. like he wanted it to sound exactly like, they should have just delivered a track and told him it's like here I redid it and it's the same track. But I mean he probably spent, you know, like a hundred thousand dollars just being petty, you know what I mean? Which is amazing. Uh and <sighs> there's a lot of people on this record. There's like and he hired some of the string guys like Paul Buckmaster and Marco Beltrami are like super heavy duty like score guys for video games and movies. Like you can see where the 13 million went on this for well, sure. Robin Fink, who actually speaking of video games, uh, he left the band at a certain point and now he founded a game studio. I forget the name of it, but uh, they just announced like within the last year, like Robin Fink helped, uh, you know, start up a new game development studio. Oh, wow. Yeah. Those guys like, cause Robin Fink was in nine inch nails for a while. Yes. I think nine inch nails kind of looms over this project in a, in a lot of ways to me. Um, and, uh, who was the other guy? Chris Vrenna from, from nine inch nails always did music for id. But oh, yeah, Nine Inch Nails has a lot of video game kind of connections. Um, makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So, Dan, I guess, why did you pick this album? Um, I I mean, you know me, and I remember like some of the earliest <laughs> conversations we had uh, when I first started working at uh, GI is I would always wear Thin Lizzy shirts and Zeppelin and Beatles stuff. And you and Kato were always, you know, coming up with tons of trivia. And, you know, we just talked classic rock a lot. So I've yeah, yeah, typically sure. been a classic rock guy of the, like, 60s, 70s variety. You know, the stuff my dad uh, had me listen to growing up. But GNR was, it's weird calling them, like, one of the more modern bands I listened to. Um, but it, when I started hearing about Chinese democracy and everything, I was so enamored of this idea of, like, I kind of like any eccentric weirdo uh, that consider, takes themselves extremely seriously, you know, whether I, I like their music or not. Like People like, you know, Kanye and, and uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Michael Jackson and just kind of these very, very eccentric, uh, whether it's ego went to their head or something. But I started hearing rumblings of this Chinese democracy coming out. And specifically, it was O2, and I had just gone to college, freshman year in the dorms, and my friend Mike was obsessed with gnr and i didn't know much outside of the fact that like oh yeah i heard axel like has a new band they're working on this album i remember mike like running down the hall to my room being like 
the, there's a rumor going on that uh, tonight at the MTV VMAs, Guns N' Roses is going to perform. And I was like, oh, is it, has it been a while since they've performed live? He's like, yeah, but, but they've been working on this new stuff, so they might debut new. It's going to be amazing. I remember just like through Mike's excitement about the whole thing. I was like, okay, I'm kind of getting into this like weird legend of this album. And do you remember this? Jimmy Fallon was hosting the VMAs, and he freaked out and introduced. He was like wearing GNR shirts throughout the night, kind of teasing it. Does this ring a bell? Oh, no, I don't. Yeah, so this was the debut of Cornrow Axel. So ah yes okay because he hadn't yeah. been seen in forever and all of a sudden it's Cornrow Axel in like a Raiders jersey and he did Welcome to the Jungle and he went into Madagascar which is one of the songs that actually made it onto the album and then ended with Paradise City and I was just so like Madagascar sounded so weird and so not like anything I'd heard from GNR that I started getting like you know half interested in the music part of it and half wanting to just follow this insane story that like only got weirder and weirder as like Buckethead came and went and like leaks started coming out and things like that yep. throughout the mid two thousands. And so I just got kind of obsessed with following the story. I was on GNR forums and I didn't post much. Well, outside of, uh, you know, getting John Drake in a lot of trouble and being responsible for guns and roses, not making it into rock band, but that's a whole other story <laughs> I've, I've told elsewhere. But uh, Axel Rose was very mad at me about a stunt I pulled uh, at E3, but, um, yeah, so it's just, I was so wrapped up in this whole thing and like people were like, posting fake things to gnr message boards of like oh it's gonna it's gonna be released uh 2005 we just found some letterhead from you know the record label and geffen and all this stuff and i it just kept getting pushed back and pushed back and you'd hear these stories and uh i just wanted to hear the album at a certain point and be like what does an album that's been in the works for what ended up being 14 years sound like when it comes out and listening to it now again i feel like they all sound like they were written in 1994 about like breaking up with Stephanie Seymour. Like they all feel yeah. very bitter, you know, jilted ex lover Axel stuff, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah. I would say that like I brought up nine inch nails. It definitely sounds like a record that was intended to be hip in like 1997, eight ish. Mm-hmm. And then it didn't come out for like another decade or so. And it seemed a little dated maybe. Um, I guess we should probably hear what should we, what should we start with? I'm trying to think of an indicative song. Uh, the first like, single was better, but there's also be- the title track. Um, I like better, better person. Sure, yeah. Let's listen. Better is kind of indicative of like the rockers on this album. I think. Yes. Yes. And this is one of the earliest uh, leaks that I heard. I remember thinking, like, Yo. this actually sounds pretty solid. And he would perform this live at these big uh, stadium shows in, like, you know, Rio and stuff. Yeah, I like the melodies on this song. I think it's actually pretty strong. It's uh, A lot of the production on this album, to me, it really kind of grates on me after a while. Um, it, but It's indulgent. It's, it's yeah. just a lot of layering. It's very indulgent. I remember being at a uh, indie wrestling show in Chanhassen and seeing Mitch Paradise come out to this. Oh, I know Mitch. Yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> um, but like this, this verse here. I'll let like, people listen a little bit. Like this melody and this chord change, I could hear with like the old band. Like I wonder if this sure. started back when they were like still kind of falling apart. You know? Yeah. Which is weird because like now that old band is playing this live now that they're touring again together. Oh, they do stuff off this. I thought it was oh, yeah. all nostalgia. Yeah, like Slash plays this live, yeah. Wow. I, and I kind of like this growly, older Axel voice, you know? But then here, this sounds pretty classic, Axel. Man, Bumblefoot is just doing all kinds of stuff all over this thing, or Buckethead or whoever. He had the wings that would come out of the, the Bumblefoot <laughs> guitar. <laughs> but uh, 
that I, actually I, I had that in my notes. It's, it's kind of an odd album because um, it, it was recorded over such a long period of time that like there's even in, sometimes in the same song there's things where it's clearly like these vocals were recorded like 12 years apart. You know, yeah. sometimes it sounds like Axel around you know Use Your Illusion, and sometimes it sounds like the more kind of like gruff kind of Axel. It's 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 kind of an odd. Thing because like so, he sounds way younger on some songs and way older on others, and obviously well, he was. It's hard to tell because like I watched those live performances a million times during like you know oh six or so, and there were he would have off nights where he sounded like total garbage, but then he would have nights where it's like he was hitting the notes like he was old you know nineteen ninety two Axel. So I, I just don't know. Um, I, I like both versions. I like kind of the, the high pitch Axel and also the growly older one. Yeah. Um, oh, you know what else I, I wanted to play? Um, and this is another one that's kind of in the more kind of very aggressive kind of almost industrial thing and this i mm. believe debuted on guitar hero this was rock um, band 2 you're, you're rock talking band about two, shackler's revenge right yeah so this was like a big thing for rock band shackler's revenge and um this is like maybe one of the more kind of aggressive um almost nine inch nails kind of things that they did the, the title shackler's revenge sounds like a boss level from donkey kong country <laughs> i couldn't <laughs> seem to find out any meaning behind it either it sounds it's like it's about like a school shooter or something like some of the lyrics yeah, Axel's got a lot of beef with people in these lyrics. Yeah, not quite getting the ring beef, but... Yeah. <laughs> God. So this was Someone the first fucking official release. <laughs> you have to, like, low Axel. Yeah. Oh, God, some of the guitar sounds on this album are so bad to me. <laughs> they're, so they're aggressive. Like, it's weird to say that they're of their time because, like, it came out in 2008, but it sounds like it, it came out or was like done in 1997. You know? Yeah, just like super digital, like just harsh kind of thing. I just, ugh. yeah, it feels like it would have been like you know next to a Rob Zombie song on the Matrix soundtrack or something. Yeah, I have in my notes that I feel like Vin Diesel should drive a car through a plate glass window, <laughs> like while I'm listening to this. Well, one of them actually, uh, the if the world that was in a Ridley Scott movie, They'd like I think oh, they debuted in that. That makes sense. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, so this one was kind. Of, this was the first one I think I remember hearing. I did have some bootlegs of like Street of Dreams is called the Blues at one yes. point, and I had yeah. that MP3 I got from somewhere. Yep. Um, yep. So, Jason, you're you know I'm, I'm sure even Old Guns and Roses doesn't mean a whole lot to you, um, and. The- <laughs> Certainly this album the album is something else. Yeah. Beyond the songs that everybody knows, I was relatively unfamiliar. I thought, for some reason, I thought that fucking um, Appetite for Destruction was like a 70s album, just because it's that well cemented oh. in the cultural consciousness. I thought it had been well around way longer than it actually has. Uh, and all I can think of listening through Chinese Democracy is like, imagine being the most famous you'll ever be, and then 30 years later coming out with another thing that's supposed to be like as good or as cool or as like interesting as that was. And you get something like Chinese democracy. <laughs> where, yeah. I mean, like, and the music is what it is. Like Matt says, it's it's a bit like production wise, not everybody's cup of tea. It is uh, mostly just like how maniacal this process must have been like to just to, to exist in the same space as this person. Because, yeah, it, like Matt, I'm sure that you in writing music uh, in, you know, in the career that you've had as a musician, like you tend to overthink songs. 
And then once you do, you know that they're done. Like, you know that you should have dropped it. Like there was a point at which it was its best. And then thinking about it more or producing it more or writing more just made it worse. Right. I think he did that for like 25 years on a lot of these (laughs) songs. Uh, Like that feeling, just multiply it by like thousands. And that's what you, I can't, I can't begin to imagine, but the story of this album is incredible. I'm really glad that Dan picked it because fuck it is. That is most entertaining wikipedia page on, oh the, on the internet i read every word of it before this yeah, yeah. it's amazing <laughs> um dan what else should we hear because there are like these i say these two i give you a pretty good idea of what i would say like the the aggressive rockers sound like on this yeah. album you know some are worse and some are better maybe but i'd um, like to look at some of the um some, because i actually might be in the minority in that i think i prefer like piano ballad uh gnr to appetite like i love appetite but i would rather have another estranged or november rain over another okay. Welcome to the Jungle or Paradise City, you know what I mean? Yeah, okay. Well, it's, uh, Street of Dreams, I mean, to me, yeah. is like kind of one of those. Um, you know, in addition to being like really angry and everything, he's got a kind of a, a fascination. He's always had an Elton John fas- fascination, I think. Uh, yeah, Axel he was and- he was known to like you know he had very tumultuous relationships with like Aaron Everly and Stephanie Seymour, but then like they would have huge drag out fights where he's throwing vases, but then he would like pull up these two beautiful white horses on the beach and take her on a romantic, you know, moonlit <laughs> ride. And like, he was a, he was an emotional, uh, tumultuous guy for he sure. He was. Yes. Yeah. So I would say, uh, let's, uh, as far as the piano ballads, there's street of dreams. Um, there's this, I love, um, prostitute isn't quite all piano stuff. I'd say street of dreams is probably the most indicative of just straight up. Yeah. piano ballad. In the kind Axel. of November, estranged, yeah. you know, appetite or a uh, use your illusion kind of era. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and I feel like this one could have been right off of User Illusion. There's nothing about the production or the sound of this that screams, you know, post-1992 to me, you know? Yeah, and this also feels like it was a song that was written where, like, some of the other ones feel like a bunch of riffs that are kind of, like, just thrown together in this Mm -hmm. weird blocks and stuff. Yeah, I think this is one of the strongest ones on the album for sure. An unexpected side effect of listening to this album after not being a GNR fan is that I thought it was a different person singing that first line or like a heavily modulated Axl Rose <laughs> singing that like really down here type yeah. like me, 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 me operatic. T- like I had no idea his voice did that when he went below like that usual register that he's like known for. He's got a lot of range. Yeah, he does. He has, he's always had that kind of low Axl like voice. Yeah. Also, man. He just shreds his fucking voice. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, yeah. some of the live performances of like that part right there, oh. he just sounded rough sometimes. I mean, it's a, ma- it's a miracle he has a voice still. Like, he just, you can tell he doesn't have technique either. It's just, like, pure, just, like, gutting it out. <laughs> yeah. Did you know, uh, speaking of the ballads, uh, Catcher in the Rye, they had Brian May uh, from Queen on some of the early versions of that. Yeah, I saw that, and then they erased wow. everything. Yeah, they took Brian May off of it. <laughs> the other thing that was blew my mind is that Moby was apparently like talked to to produce this thing at one point. Yeah, and he was like talking it up. Like he he heard a bunch of the early tracks and was like talking it up to Rolling Stone and stuff. This is a pretty good song, actually. I, yeah, I, I've it grown is. You know, I think honestly, if they would have if they would have made it like a big video for this and put this out as the first single, I think. It might have done better. 
Yeah, Better's Better's a solid song, but I I don't think it's you know top three or four on the record. And it's I not like, like it. I just I just think for people that were expecting Guns N' Roses, it was kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah, like this like this, this sounds like Guns N' Roses here. Yeah. It's even got like a guitar solo where they're not trying to play like eight million notes in like one second. Yeah, this is in the video where Slash would be playing with a bunch of dolphins <laughs> going down Hollywood Boulevard. <laughs> oh my god, we could do a <laughs> Dan. In one of your weird like all the stuff that you do, could we do like a painting the stream of the like the, the video oh, the trilogy, trilogy of like Don't Cry, Don't Cry and, uh, uh, <laughs> November Rain is Strange? I would love to do that, dude. Oh real. my god, that would be fun to just break it down shot by and shot. It would be real short. We could just like you know talk about them and then you know break in between. Yeah, like, okay, so where'd they get the oil tanker? <laughs> Why is Duff the one that's getting in the lifeboat to go save him? <laughs> Let's talk about these shoes. Oh, man, those days. In the last shot like, where it's like, it's implied that Axel had sex with the dolphin? Do you remember yeah, this? Yeah. It says, it says yeah. love Axel on the screen, and Axel's like looking kind of like, uh, you know, uh, seductively at the camera, while a dolphin is next to him with a towel wrapped around him, like Axel just fucked the dolphin. <laughs> The fuck's going on? That's how the trilogy uh, ends. Said fucking a dolphin. All right, we have to do this now. It's, 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 I really would like to, to break this. that we down. Do There's a lot happening. They're all like nine-minute songs, except for Don't Cry. <laughs> okay. I think this is a good part. Yeah, I like this part. Yeah, this part's great. He's a good piano player, actually. Yeah. Almost Beatles-esque. Yeah. Yeah, this part right here. And he's going after it. Yeah. I yeah, and ironically love this one. Um Yeah, those were those days of those videos where they they'd freaking hire like, you know, James Cameron to <laughs> like direct a Puff Daddy video and like have like Harvey <laughs> Keitel as like an FBI guy and stuff. There's a what was that the one off the spaghetti incident where they have Gary Oldman as the devil, like since I left you? Yeah, yeah. Gary oh, man. They were just, they were burning money in those days, like CD oh, yeah. era. You know, they rented um, out that oil tanker for estranged. I know it's crazy. Um, I guess I would like to play one that has a. I think my number one favorite <laughs> ridiculous moment on this album, but it's Can also one that. I, what's that? Can I guess? Okay, is the song "Sorry"? Yes. Is the ridiculous moment? Does he turn into a vampire for a second? Yes. Okay. But- <laughs> Okay, I'm gonna set this up because I really there are things I like about this song. Like, I like it a lot. The, the chorus on this, I un, like, is fucking heavy and it's awesome. Um, the riff, but uh, we like just play it from the beginning because this, like, we, we're gonna have to stop and discuss at the 30 second mark. <laughs> I like that I guessed out of the entire album the one part. <laughs> totally, it just stuck out to me. It's like, this is the one I remember Sebastian Bach heard at first and was describing it like, oh, it's like this like doom metal with Alex Axel uh, growling over the whole thing. The little keyboards remind me of Battle Evermore by Zeppelin. Mm, mm. A little bit. Yeah. Okay, oh, here we go. <laughs> it's going it's, up. it's really weird. Here we go. 
<laughs> All right. Can we hear that one more time, Jason? Yeah, yeah. Roll it back. <laughs> okay, stop. Um, what the so, fuck's going on there? You know what it reminded me of? It's like, you know at the end of Forgetting Sarah Marshall where he's back in L.A. and he's doing that puppet show about, like, Dracula? It's like, it's been a long time. can't die. <laughs> it's just straight up a vampire voice. But I don't want to do it. it. And the other thing, just in the oh wait, is this coming? Uh, no. Uh, uh, uh. So in the course of this album, just because we know every single note and every inch of this album is just like slaved over for years, like it's not just like he did that on a whim right. and just left it in or something. Yeah, he was into that. He liked. Like it. he, he thought about that. and He says, "I want to sound like Dracula for one line in this song for." No reason. And How many important. people do you think brought it up to him? Was like, hey man, what's with the Dracula voice? <laughs> but I don't want to do it. <laughs> and oh, they got man, fired was, immediately. Was, yeah, totally. Maybe he's never <laughs> spoken to him since. Yeah. Um, but um, <laughs> oh man, I love that. I mean, that's really hilarious that you picked that up too. Uh, um, that <laughs> I made a note on that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I we just started again because I I actually maybe Street of Dreams and then the chorus to this song I fucking think yeah. is awesome. This is super heavy. I love this riff. Like yeah. a big Sabbath riff. Are these like worse lyrics than GNR used to have? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they weren't like amazing lyrics even back in the heyday. It was just about like getting drunk no. and doing heroin. <laughs> <laughs> those so, those yeah, can be pretty cool. They were better. Getting drunk and doing heroin's better than being upset <laughs> about your ex-girlfriend and turning into a vampire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I do. This every song does feel like it's aimed at some woman that like broke his heart. Like it's really funny. Yeah, but again, I think he wrote them all in probably like the mid '90s and was still pissed about Stephanie Seymour. Yeah. He has a lot of different voices. Yeah. Right. Here comes the drop. Yeah, I just love that's total Black Sabbath. I love that riff. Yeah, yeah, this is definitely one of the stronger ones on the album. And this one doesn't feel like embarrassingly dated with all the you know sound effects and stuff like that. This actually just sounds like a cool like I would I'd like to hear more like this from Guns N' Roses. Yeah, and in this part like they're not doing it's just like guitar, bass, and drums. It's not like a million different layers of synthesizers and like guitar solos. So well, yeah, and like if you want a, a good sample of like just the indulgent stuff, like the beginning of there was a time and the end where it's just like there's music box sound effects and like a bird and there's like chanting at the end and it's like this is just too much going on here. <laughs> Yeah. Also, I'm sure Axel was really proud of the "There Was a Time" acronym. Oh God, I didn't think about that because that one's like about the most spiteful, like ex-lover one. Oh boy. All right. Uh, what else do, should we hear? Um, Let's see, Madagascar is a weird. There's someone here that are just weak. I think um, scraped is bad. It's oh, kind of like them terrible. trying to do a, a appetite for destruction, like straightforward rocker. It's not good. Uh, Riyadh and the Bedouins, that was one that leaked, and 
I remember it was one of the like weaker leaks, and I was shocked when I saw that it was actually on the final track list because I was like, "Oh man, that song!" That's I mean, it sounded better in the leak when it was all you know mixed and everything, but it's yeah. still not good. You know, actually, there was a time is probably fairly, I think, one of the better ones. Yeah, it's good. It's it's long, it's indulgent, but it it is really good. Yeah, let's listen to that. Got like all these sounds. I'm sure it's like an actual chorus, probably too. So, Jason, I'm curious, like, me and Dan kind of like, you know, some of this, or we might be, like, having Stockholm Syndrome with this album, <laughs> but, um, do, is there any of this you like, or I can see you just fucking hating all this stuff. <laughs> I'm Like, totally. I chew, like, the parts that I don't like, I chew through, like, gristle, because, like, there are little <laughs> bits, like, hooks, like the, like the chorus to this song, like, a little bit of a guilty Ooh. pleasure, a little bit, little bit indulgent, where I like that, the, kind of the headbanginess of it, right? Yeah, I, I'm not going to remember fondly my time with this record. I'll, I'll say, but I, I'm <laughs> certain that pieces of it are already are already stuck in my head from like the five or six times I've listened through it. Yeah, I think you have to be somewhat invested in the idea of Guns N' Roses as well to like yeah. you know yeah want to like I, it in some ways. Like I have to like laugh sometimes when he just goes when he goes like full axle like. There's that part like three quarters of the way through Madagascar where he's just doing like Cool Hand Luke and Martin Luther King samples and stuff. And it's like, this is just, okay. <laughs> oh Axel, my God. Someone let Axel loose here with the soundboard. I, I forgot uh, about the Martin Luther King MLK yes. stuff. I was like, dude, you need to check that's yourself. So like, with, it's like, you're just you're bitching Axel about ex girlfriend and like, dude, that's, that's not cool. Can we go all. to the, the sample part of Madagascar? Where, where is that? Do you remember? It's like three quarters of the way through Madagascar. I think it's like the uh, yeah. fourth or sixth, yeah. fourth or fifth album or track. And he played this at the VMAs in 2002, six years before the album came out. Go back, go back a little bit. I think that's Michael J. Fox. What a weirdo. <laughs> and even does a callback to Civil War because they had that cool hand loop. Like, what we've got <laughs> yeah. here is failure to communicate. Oh God, it's so much. Uh, <laughs> when I when I saw him, he had a leather jacket that was half the U.S. flag and half the Confederate oh, yeah. flag for like... Oh, he loved uh, that one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, for Civil oh, War. No. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I think he used to wear that when he was uh, touring with Metallica. Yeah, just like that and like t- 
tight white biker shorts and like huge high tops. Like, like that's tassels. a cool look. Yeah, that's a that's, cool look. That's a char- I'm sorry, Matt. I think you're talking about a character from I Think You Should Leave with Tim Robinson. I don't think you're talking about a real human right now. Yes, it's all there. Um. So, I, I do want to hear um a part just because I feel like we've talked about it, but I did have this part on. Riyadh and the Bedouins, which I don't really think is like one of the better songs necessarily, but there's a part here at like 325 to the end where it like kind of illustrates like there's a certain mania to this record at times where like so much is like being just shoved in the track and you're like, it's like, I think it starts at 325 and I just wanted like bust in the studio and just like everybody calm down. (laughs) Like, what are we doing? You know, like the the guitars on this are just absolutely. Can six of you leave the room? Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it sounds like the title music to the adventures of rad gravity on nes <laughs> oh no, i don't remember that you should look that up it's terrible and then there's another break too it's just like And this song sucks. <laughs> and there's like 8 million axles now. And there's that lyric who's like, I don't give a fuck about them because I am crazy. This <laughs> <It> sucks. <laughs> These are just bad lyrics. <laughs> oh, it's just it, parts in this album. It's just like overwhelming. We just want to like just scream like, stop, please. Yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, other ones we haven't touched on. I think IRS is a pretty solid, straightforward rocker. And I think Prostitute is another one of those good kind of use your illusion types, you know, like the ballads. Mm-hmm. Those two are, are prostitute, especially. I remember thinking was was pretty solid. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's hear pro- prostitute. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like saying that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, man, the lyrics on this album are so sour, man. Like, oh, just yeah, a bitter, unhappy person. Almost every single track, almost. Well, that's that's why I ask about them is because like. Oh, the, again, the old lyrics were like, much more clever yeah. to me, and like they were kind of a badass. Like in the in the way that I think some Stones lyrics are really good, and just kind of like a they sound cool and like they're mm-hmm. badass kind mm-hmm. of way, you know. Um, yeah, I wouldn't say yeah. Mick Jagger's I mean, like a great lyricist, but he's written some lyrics that I think are really great lyrics, you know, just for what they are. Yeah, sure. Um, but he, he wasn't so, like, like Bob Dylan or something, but. <laughs> Yeah, and sort of where they came from was like either vagaries about the world that they lived in, or like fawning over a woman that 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 he loved, rather than like yeah. retribution and and hate and like scorn and revenge and all these weird. Yeah. It just feels disingenuous and like, I mean, the modern parlance for it is like cringy and tryhard. I think. Oh yeah, yeah. It feels I mean, really rough. Every once in a while, Axel would pop up on the GNR message board, and his name was like. <laughs> No. It was like Dexter killed. Like he named himself after the show Dexter, and it's like, isn't that the most appropriate thing for Axel Rose? Jesus Christ! It's like an edge lord Axel. <laughs> the only thing that uh, yeah, this song is not bad. I just yeah. think I, the title made me like go away from it because it's even more misogynistic than every other song in this album, sure. which is super misogynistic. <laughs> sure. Um, but a friend of mine is a uh, he's a guitar tech and. Uh, sound mixer he tours pretty big bands like Jerry Cantrell or you know I think he's out with Corn right now he's worked for like even Weird Al you know a bunch <laughs> of people anyway he was a uh, helmet uh, was touring with them and like when he kind of brought it back with before like Slash and Duff were all back with that kind of weird version of the band yeah 
And he ended up like kind of hanging out on the helmet bus a lot. And like he said, he can't say a lot because he signed this like dictionary size like uh, NDA. Sure. But he did say what Axel liked to do a lot is hang out with Helmet, and he he just was like trying to get him into Trailer Park Boys really hardcore. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he well when they were uh, touring initially in like the mid to late two thousands, they would have bubbles from the Trailer Park Boy like come on stage. Yeah, like and, so my, like the actual actor from Trailer Park Boys. So my friend Brian would just be like in their in their bus and just like. I'm like watching Trailer Park Boys with Axl Rose. Like, what? <laughs> w- what's going on? You know? Yeah, he's a big movie guy. I know he always used to watch movies. Like, he'd be late, you know, two hours late to show up on on stage because he was watching a movie on the bus or whatever. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Didn't he? I think he did. He shit in Mike Patton's orange juice, or did Mike Patton shit in his orange juice? Do you know? <laughs> what? Yeah. That sounds like something that Patton would do more than. I Axel. think that was it. I think yeah. because Faith No More, I think was opening for GNR, and Axel was being a total asshole. I want to say Mike Patton shit in his orange juice on the bus. Yeah, Patton does that stuff. Like when I think when like Limp Biscuit asked Faith No More to reunite, he like peed on the table, the conference table, or something. <laughs> I worked, at, I worked as a PA on an indie film that Mike Patton was the star of in Kansas when I was in college. Damn. Yeah, so I met him before I knew anything about Faith No More. I don't know a ton about Faith No More, but I, I like everything I've heard. Did you, did you catch any strays? It sounds like the guy's a real fan of uh, scatological Oh, well, yeah, and catering. Expression. You know, you pull up the, the, the metal thing. Yeah. There's just one turd on the middle of everything. <laughs> This song has a lot of parts. Yeah, and it even ends weird. There's kind of this like electronic loop and that kind of fades out. Yeah, I'm looking at the track length. It's literally like 6 minutes, 15 seconds. It's a biggie. Yeah, and this is the final one on the album. Some auto-tune going on there. Yeah. I've seen the criticism, or maybe just commentary, about this record being like... If this only released as uh, an Axl Rose solo record, it probably would have done okay. Do either of you like believe in that, or is it no. doomed? No, I think, it, I think by the time it came out, I think everyone was pretty aware of what this thing was, just because it had been in the news for so long. And like, I don't think anyone expected this to be like old GNR with Slash and everything. Like, a lot, mm. enough stories had gotten out about it to where people expected this to be Axl's weird side project. And also, right. just the GNR name still rings, you know. This is yeah. also one of those albums, a like classic album, where it sold like all its copies in like the first two weeks, and then yeah, like right, right. It probably went platinum in two weeks, and then never sold like one more record because everyone heard it and they're like, ooh, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Like this I kind of kinda, I do like how this fades out, kind of. I do too. It's a weird, odd way to end the album, but I, I kind of like it. So, Chinese Democracy. Uh, yes. I don't know what to say about this album. It's, it's, it's just, there's nothing like it. I will say that. It's, it's clearly, I felt like he was trying to reach something that he maybe, he, he didn't quite get there. And this is sort of like him trying to get to this place. But it, it just doesn't, Ultimately, I I, like, I think it delivered for me, not because, like, I wasn't expecting it to be the greatest album I'd ever heard. I was in it for the story and just the lore of it. And the final product is really interesting and weird. Like, I wanted it to be interesting, and it, it, is, it is that. It's not necessarily good. There are tracks I like on here, but overall, it's all over the fucking place, and some of the tracks are terrible. 
Um, so for what I wanted out of this thing, it totally delivered. Yeah, and there are a lot of moments like that part of reading reading the Bedouins that I, I just I, I'm sort of like. How did people go into a studio and think like this is what we should do, or like you know this is this is the song? <laughs> you know I mean? But it's, it's one of those so... things where it's like if you're surrounding yourself with yes men, you know, like yeah. who's going to say no to Axel? And just tinkering over like decade, you know, like a decade, yes. and like adding this and adding that and adding this and taking this away and erasing that and replacing it with this, and you know, it's yeah. just it is a product of mania. I mean, I, I I'd heard at one point he was literally going to like eight hours of therapy every day. Yeah, he had like, like a live-in psychic. Yeah, like, and just was like, even more. Frankly, Matt, Matt, do you remember when we were in LA, standing on a rooftop downtown with some guys that worked with Axel during this period? Because he was the oh. DJ in San Andreas. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. This is starting to ring a bell. Yeah, so like we were the with the. Is when they put me into uh, yeah the roof of the standard. It was the trip where you wrote a cover story on L.A. Noir, and I was basically yes, just sent yes. out to drink beer and get put in the game, which was yeah, just, a, just it's a good work trip. Yeah, it was a great time. Yeah, that, Matt will write those. five thousand words. Dan, you just have fun. It's an experience yeah, for you. Just go drink a bunch of free beer on a rooftop, <laughs> and then they'll put you in a video game. Okay, Matt great. will bust like you know forty hours on an article when he gets back in two days. Yeah, um, I'll just go back and be like, I'm in a game, guys. Yeah, <laughs> but we were up oh, there with. Man. Rockstar guys that had worked yeah. with Axel in like, you know, what, 2005, 2000, whenever they were making San Andreas, 2004. And it was during the recording of this album. And I just remember the, the gist of the story was uh, Buckethead had kind of gone AWOL at a certain point, And Axel wanted to meet up with him, but he had to make sure they met on an area of neutral psychic auras, which they <laughs> determined was going to be uh, like a Scottsdale, Arizona, like county fair or something. And so at one point, it's just Axl Rose and Buckethead on a fucking Ferris wheel in Scottsdale, Arizona, talking about, like, how are we going to get over the psychic aura problem and get you back in the band? Wow. Yes. Yeah, I think this is starting to ring a bell. I mean, I remember that night now. For, I'm, I'm thinking back to that night. And was that was Australian guys and stuff? Mm-hmm. It was um, Tim Bondi. I just remember, like, yeah, as soon as they started yeah, being like, yep, oh, yeah, yeah, we worked with Axel. I was like, what? Like, my eyes just lit up. It's like, tell me everything. Yes. And that, I mean, that's classic rock star, too. They always pick up people from, like, different industries and, like, mm-hmm. music and stuff that don't even, like, aren't involved in games and stuff. This guy worked um, for a surfing magazine. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's very classic rock star. Um, yeah. Sam just thought he was cool, you know? Yeah. Uh, yes. But, um, well, I mean, I don't. This is a journey. Jason, I'm glad you got to at least experience it. I don't know if it was the. <laughs> The best introduction to GNR, I, but I will I will never hear any of their older songs the same way again. I know it, knowing <laughs> that it's the same person behind it. Yeah. Uh, let's switch gears to my pick. Uh, this one's kind of interesting because I, I feel like I, I don't want to say I discovered him in the last couple years because obviously I knew him, but uh, Alice Cooper, he's kind of an odd figure because he is sort of part of the classic rock tradition, and he's he's well known, but. He's kind of famous, but not that popular, I guess I would say, in a, in a way. Like, or I think that he's known for a few songs, uh, you know, particularly one we'll hear today. Um, but when I started actually getting into his, like, mid-70s and early 70s albums, I realized, like, man, this band is a lot weirder and different and more kind of ambitious in ways. Um, but I just, I didn't know what they were really like. Um, so this is Love It to Death, uh, Alice Cooper. I believe it's the third album. Uh, this is kind of the, the classic lineup uh, with Glenn Buxton, Michael Bruce on guitar, Dennis Dunaway on bass, and Neil Smith on drums. At this point, they're a band like Alice has actually billed as Vincent Furnier on the liner notes to this. Then after um, a few more albums, he kind of take kicks those guys out and becomes Alice Cooper. But like he was just a, a guy in the band, Alice Cooper, at this point. Um, 
Yeah, so how familiar you were you were with like Alice Cooper and his discography? Well, you mentioned Wayne's World, and honestly, that was my whole like vision of of Alice Cooper for most of my life. Is you know the Milwaukee thing and all that, and like, but they really build him up. It's like, oh, I'm this goth kind of pre Marilyn Manson deal with the uh, you know the big kind of sticky stage show and feed my Frankenstein and all that stuff. And he was actually he took part in an early WrestleMania, so it's like oh, I kind of knew he yeah. was like. I knew he was. I saw him as just this kind of like theatrical, like spirit Halloween store rocker, you know. Like I, yes, I didn't really. Yeah. I, that's all I knew, really. And I knew schools out for summer. Um, that's the one I knew. And then, like in college, I remember he kind of got big into like radio. I, I don't think it was podcast yet, but I think he had a radio show that was pretty popular for a while. But I think I just saw him as like a '70s version of Marilyn Manson because I probably could not have gone to my head. Until, you know, we started talking about doing this podcast, knowing anything other than school's out for summer, except I'm 18. Once I heard that when I was listening to it, I was like, oh, right. I've heard the song and the song kicks ass. Um, but, yeah, yeah. But I would not have been able to place it if you told asked me, you know, two months ago uh, to name Alice Cooper songs. So yeah. that was the big surprise for me is that thinking he was just kind of more gimmicky uh, or all gimmick. And then listening to this album, and it's like just kind of groovier and got some kind of like punk stuff going on here that like he's got some some of these tracks kind of going like Black Juju and some of these go into kind of like you know, spooky dooky, you know, uh, like more what I would expect from him. But there are some that just sound like fucking good, like almost punk or garage rock songs, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. We should maybe kick it off. Uh, Caught in a Dream. That's a good. That's the I think the first, that's the first track. one. Yeah. That's like, yeah, but they were just a great kind of like almost proto-punk kind of band in a lot of ways. And I, I, there's a big difference between like the albums that were made with like this lineup as actual band. I think the quality goes and it gets much more gimmicky once like, he kind of kicks them out and it becomes more of the, as you said, kind of a theatrical thing. For people that aren't familiar, he like, you know, has a guillotine and gets his head cut off on stage. He has a python. He has, you know, he gets electrocuted. It's it's almost like a carnival barker kind of thing. Almost like a, like a guar type thing where it's like, I mean, yeah, they play music, but there's also this whole shtick around it, you know? I mean, truly, I guess when you think about it, I mean, without him, there's no Marilyn Manson, there's no guar, there's no kiss. I mean, he really was the first person that did this sort of like over the top kind of shock rock thing. Well, but like at that time when he was coming around, like was there hysteria around him? Like like there was with Ozzy? Because like some of the stuff plays with Christian themes like Second Coming and Hallowed Be By Name and, you know, like was there hysteria and outrage back then? I mean, I think there was to a degree. I mean, I don't know. If, I don't think they ever really hit that super popularity. You know what I mean? Like they sure. were known among rock fans. Um, actually, <laughs> Jason said his mom is a huge Cooper fan. Wow. She like new albums and everything. Yeah, she was, uh, I think, 12, 13 when this record came out, but she listened to them on the radio um, and really fell in love with how, how weird, like the same reasons that I and I guess the rest of the group here has really fallen in love with this with this sound is like they were really interesting in their musicality and a little weird and kind of profane, but also like really genuine in ways, uh, just like an all around mark of quality. And yeah, when your mom likes music, you got to check it out a little bit, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Your mom rocks. Um, let's hear Caught in a Dream, because this is just a great, you know, I mean, for Dan, I figured some of these songs, Dan, were just like really good 70s rockers oh. that you would just like totally dig, you know? I, I was instantly, when I started this album, you know, I went in order, and this one, I was just like, oh, man, this kicks ass, like right away. Like, this could be the intro for a Stone song. Yeah, totally. Or like stuff like I mean, they were kind of in the same scene with like Mata Hoople and you know, mm. 
even early Bowie, you sure. know. Yeah, like there's listening to this, I would have not known this was Alice Cooper. This does not sound anything like what I thought Alice Cooper's whole yeah. thing was, you know. Now, so there's a decent amount of songs in this uh, album that are almost like just kind of Ramonesy, like you know, very short, in and out, you know, nothing fancy about them. Yeah. I want to shout out uh, Glenn Buxton, who's playing here. I think he's one of the real underrated lead guitar players of the 70s. He's really, they're always really catchy. He has almost a kind of slash kind of thing. Was he in uh, other bands? No, no. These guys started in high school together, I think, basically, <laughs> in, in, in Phoenix. And then they moved up to Detroit and were kind of part of that whole MC5, Ted Dugent, you know, gotcha. P-Funk scene. Yeah, I honestly just had no idea that they had songs in their catalog or Alice that sounded like this. Yeah, I was like, I this I four years ago or something. I was like, my friend was saying, I love Alice Cooper. I'm like, really? Like, check out Love It to Death or Killer. I was like, damn, these are good records. It's um, a Killer was the other one. Yeah, Killer's the the next one, and I really I, I was telling Jason before I waffled between this and Killer. Hmm. They're they're very similar in style and both very good. Um, so I think if you like this, you'd like Killer just as much. Nice, I'll check it out. Um, but yeah, but yeah, this is just a good, this is just good rock music, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, we should probably go just to give people a little bit something to hang on to. The "I'm 18" is kind of one of his iconic songs. Um, I mean, to me, it's one of the great rock songs ever written. I think it's it's just like teen angst, and you know, it's just it's got a great riff. It's really atmospheric. The, the lyrics uh, I, are fun. Like, I'm a boy and a man. Oh, I'm confused every day, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's just like being like a 15, 16-year-old mm-hmm. kid that hates everything. Um, or 18-year-old, I guess, <laughs> in this case. But it feels younger than that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, I did look so, up some stuff. And you talked about, like, kind of influence on punk. So this song is all... Joey Ramone of the Ramones' first song he wrote uh, was his pre- Ramon's band was like basically just a rip off of this. He loved this song. It's like his mm-hmm. favorite song. And then Johnny Rotten of the Sex Pistols, when he auditioned for the band, he just lip synced I'm 18 by Alice Cooper wearing oh, wow. a shirt, a pink, he had a Pink Floyd shirt and he wrote, I hate with a magic marker over Pink Floyd oh, what a and just did, and just did this song. So it's like, this is a very, I think, influential kind of song in the development of kind of that punky kind of attitude thing. Sure. Yeah, I feel like this didn't get a ton of radio play. You know, I, I listened to so much classic rock radio growing up, and I, yeah. I heard this a few times, but I feel like I, I wish I would have heard it more because it is really good. Yeah, also, too, Dan, you, you're a big Neil Young and Crazy Horse fan. Mm-hmm. Like, this has a little bit of that vibe sometimes I can see that. to it. That guitar right there, yeah, totally sounds like Neil Young. I love how suddenly the chorus comes in. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just love every single. This is a perfect song to me. Yeah. Got a pretty cool voice for this too, you know. Yeah, pretty gravelly. This is one of those songs that's like ly- lyrically, um, like that line in particular. I got a baby's uh, baby's brain and an old man's heart. <laughs> is like these are. It sounds kitschy. It sounds like sentimental, but these are exactly what you think when you're 18 years yeah. old. Like yeah. you think you're the most special protagonist about everything in the totally. world. Like you, like you're like you, you'll never find your way in the world, but you know that you've got this old heart that appreciates the classics kind of person. I don't know. It's it's a real awareness. I guess he was. I don't know when it was written, but he was 21 when this, uh, or 23, I guess, when this record was released. So a recent feeling for it. uh, Yeah. It captures that 18-year-old who thinks he's having really deep thoughts. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And I I think that's conscious. You know, this band is definitely kind of, I don't say they're ironic, but like, they know what they're doing. You know what I mean? I think in a lot of things. Mm -hmm. It's it's the spirit of me at 18 being like, you know, Fight Club's really about philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God! <laughs> Not many people will tell you this. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Jesus. It's a lot deeper than you think. It's, <laughs> it's the stuff you look back on when you're thirty something. It's like, ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> this feels really punk, kind of. Mm-hmm. Just the vocal. All right, we listened to all that one, but it's a short song. Yeah, that's a good one. Um. Dan, I guess uh, I should let you kind of pick one. What uh, What's one that kind of stood out to you or some of the ones you wanted to cover? Um, well, there's some that I just think are straightforward, like good and kind of in the vein of the last couple we listened to. Like, is it my body? Is a really good one and, and long way to go. But like, I was kind of curious to listen to and talk about the ones that like, I feel like he was starting to veer into more of the like kind of uh, experimental, almost kind of like spooky type stuff. Like I feel... Uh, Ballad of Dwight Fry goes kind of weird by the end. Yeah, um, this I love this. <laughs> and the int- the intro is really weird too. Uh, we would probably start that from the beginning because it's, yeah, it's weird, the creepy. Do you want me to uh, actually go back to the end of Second Coming? I guess that's where the actual like child talking shit is oh. i like second coming i wanted to listen to second coming later so okay yeah. i'll i'll jump to the very back end yeah, of second yeah. coming just to catch that child i actually stuff, have this on vinyl is... so i just kind of learned that these were like separate songs hmm. yeah, it's like a living loving made and heartbreaker situation yeah No big deal, but I think I was wrong. Mommy, where's Daddy? <laughs> so creepy. He's been gone for so long. Now, do you think this was seen as cheesy back then? Um. Yeah, I I think that they were kind of campy, you know, purposefully right. campy, you know. Yeah. And at this point, too, like he's not he doesn't really have the horror image. He has they kind of dress like thuggish, kind of like cross dressers you know what i mean they wore like dresses but they look like just like a mess and like they drank all the time and 
Sure. So this, at this part, it kind of reminds me of Spill the Wine. It was like, I dreamt I was in a Hollywood movie, and I was the star <laughs> of the movie. Basically, this is like a mental patient. I mean, having delusions or possibly not delusions. Um, and you're, this song's kind of because it's really a good song, but it's kind of campy and it's kind of silly. But it, but there's this one part that kind of creeps me out the way he talks about this guy dying. Yeah. Thematically, it reminds me of uh, a Megadeth song, um, "Sweating Bullets." Yeah. Hello, me. Read the me, the real me. I assume Dwight Fry was fictional. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think in this song he might get electrocuted at the end live. It's like a, oh, okay. a thing. I guess the name comes from an actor from the like early 1900s who was oh. in the original Dracula, like the oh. Bela Lugosi Dracula. Oh, huh. I didn't he know played that. The, whatever the thrall was, the the like the servant of Dracula who's in the town and kind of freaking everybody out. He like. He was known for uh, his creepy stare, I guess. Huh. Really does feel like like a Rob Zombie of the seventies, or like the yeah. cinephile that likes kind of spookier yeah. movie. You know, like yeah. This gets really unhinged to this vocal performance. This is like, weird. Yeah, I love it so much. Like, imagine him in the studio. Like, he recorded that. Yeah. Just, it must have been so weird to watch. <laughs> yes. But he, like, just goes for it to the point where he sounds legitimately like he's deranged. Not yeah. just, like, play acting at it. Is this the part where he gets electrocuted on stage? Probably. Probably. Yeah, they, these songs go in a lot of different directions in kind of interesting ways. Like, there's just things you don't um, expect. And, which is interesting because, like, there are several songs on this album that are so straightforward rock songs. And then there's ones like this and Black Juju, which is like, okay, we're going into some weird, like, Black Juju is almost like, like a Doors type, the end. Yes. Like, going in a million different places. Mm-hmm. Well, there's this tension throughout, like, like you're saying, Dan, where it's like they, they veer from very classic, very radio-friendly type stuff to 
whatever this is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, isn't Matt, is it, I think I read that um, I'm 18 was recorded before the rest of the album as like a toe in the water to see if the band had commercial legs before oh, okay. they recorded the rest of that, the thing. I don't know that, that, they did that a lot. But, you know, singles were just a bigger deal. Man, that's such a bizarre concept. Like, while you're in there, you might as well record an album. Yeah. Uh, I think is, is the is the feeling today yeah. where hold on I want the idea was is, it, is this coming up yeah this right. part Just like there's such like a kind of almost like I don't know clockwork orange kind of just like nihilistic like, like oh detached. he sees a guy dying and he's just like I'm glad that wasn't me you know yeah, yeah. just objectively looking at it is that I, I think the first couple times I listened to this I thought it was a woman's voice there but is it just him putting on a no, voice? No, I think it's all him. Yeah. Oh, it's like the, it's like the and, first and time and I found out that "Give Me the Loot" <clears throat> was all Biggie. I was like, what? <laughs> I thought that was two different voices forever. <laughs> no, all Biggie. <laughs> But and also like at this time they they like you know they kind of had their whole image is very drugged out kind of depraved sick kind of thing um, you know they dress in women's clothes and we're just like a mess and but I think he positioned these guys as very much like they were kind of coming after the '60s and they were very much like anti hippie kind of thing mm-hmm. like sort of a very death trip like druggy kind of like nihilistic vibe instead of like you know peace and love stuff so that was sort of part of their whole deal. Well, what was the intersection with like? Did they get compared to uh, Ozzy and Sabbath? Like, wait, what, what's Ozzy and Sabbath and those guys doing at this point? Are they in the same? Yeah, I mean, I think they were frame? definitely Sabbath. Probably would have been released Paranoid or Masters of Reality when this came out. So you know, they were both kind of there. But I, I and I never got the sense that they intersected that much. Like Sabbath was English. I think they were a little bit more from like the heavy rock thing. And these guys were from Detroit, so you know, they were kind of like. There's that Detroit scene of like, you know, MC5 and and Ted Nugent, the Amboy Dukes and a lot of kind of almost pre-punk kind of stuff in Detroit. Um, So I guess I would probably, I think they were probably more associated at the time was like glam, like kind of David Bowie type Hmm. stuff. Interesting. Okay. Um, More artsy. Yeah. I think a little more artsy than like Sabbath probably. Gotcha. Um, Speaking of artsy, um, this one is, I, uh, well, number one, Dan, is there any, do you want to hear like, is it my body? That's a great, like, that's, I wrote down in my notes that like, this might be my favorite, although it's hard to say, cause like I'm 18 and it's just so fucking good, but th- this one's up there. Yeah. Is it my body? It's just as far as one of their rockers. This is just amazing. Yeah. This is one or two for me on the album. Shout out to Dennis Dunaway. He's a really good bass player. He has a lot of cool little parts in this album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this one's just got a groove to it that I love. Yeah. I like Dunaway, too, because he doesn't really play like a heavy rock bass player. He kind of plays more like almost Motown-y kind of stuff. Yeah, I hear that. Way more melodic and like counter to the melody rather than just holding it down. Yeah. And I mean, there. I mean, Motown was going on when they were there, too, so. Yeah, yeah. love this part yeah parts of the guitar sound like they remind me of uh can't you hear me knocking yeah totally i mean i'm sure these guys loved the hell out of the stones when they were in high school yeah
that bass bend or whatever that is mm, gets me every time. Yeah, like I can appreciate the weirdness of like when when they got a little more like you know Dorsey or Ballad of Dwight Fry and stuff like that. Like there, there's some fun stuff with those, but like I think I'm always going to appreciate just a good straightforward rocker. And there's like you know probably yeah. four or five really good ones on this album. Yeah, I think he'd really Killers very much like this. Then the next couple are a little more straightforward. Muscle of Love and Billion Dollar Babies, which are both very good. <laughs> and um, and after Billion Dollar Babies, it gets it gets a little spottier. It's muscle of love is that a dick reference i don't know it's a subtle kind of thing and i'm just trying to understand yeah. the wordplay <laughs> okay all right i mean people interpret muscle of love different ways dan sure. you know kind of like uh you know dylan lyrics i would say you know of course um, yeah yeah it's a real but I, you, you may be onto something yeah um, okay <laughs> the oh, also rock don't, dan We're definitely avoid the first two albums pretty for you and easy action because those are way more like the artier stuff but like oh really they hadn't quite figured it out. I like, I do like those albums, but they're a little more of a tougher pill. They were on Frank Zappa's label originally. Okay. So I tried a, a few that. times with Zappa. Like, yeah. that, that was always the direction you would go when we had that long running thing where, what was the thing you would try to find? Uh, Something I, I would try. <laughs> this is a years long thing. <laughs> I would try to find a group that you liked less than Coco Rosie. Okay, I knew and Coco so, Rosie was heavily involved. I didn't know if they won the contest or if you were trying to find something well, worse never, than Coco Rosie. I, I never, you never said that I beat it. You would always say I that don't Coco Rosie was worse. You yeah, but close. I brought some really bad songs. There and were also, some, not even songs that like were bad, but I knew like there was a certain stripe of kind of like hipstery whimsy, pretentious. That would just like yeah, pretend like they, I, I kind of knew the things that would drive you up the wall. So I would kind of like be on pitchfork and just be like, oh yeah, Dan would. <laughs> fucking hate this this would always just, even after like i left game informer i would just get like you know dms or something text. like check this out yeah oh then it just morphed into just jared leto shit yeah then jared, we bonded i were you worried i was gonna pick 30 seconds to mars because i thought about oh it i didn't even site. really consider that I, yeah. th- I thought about coco rosi for a second but <laughs> um so i'd like to wrap it up with a couple songs uh one and this is i'm i'm even i like this song and i'm more interested in it now after i read about it on wikipedia a uh, second coming uh, actually kind of comes before Ballad of Dwight Fry and sort of merges into it with a creepy little kid voice. Um, but apparently this is them sort of like doing a piss take on side two of Abbey Road. Oh, interesting. Like, I don't think they I think they weren't like the hugest Beatles fans and they kind of thought that whole like sidelong suite. So there's this one part early where you can hear them specifically doing like a real John Lennon vocal thing that I never noticed until I read that. And huh. it's a really short song. Not It's not long, but it has a lot of different kind of parts. I couldn't tell if the bells were getting louder. The songs kind of see that. Some coming up here, like thirty eight. Hell is getting harder, devil's getting smarter all the time. And it would be nice to walk upon. Right here. That's Beatles. So was this them kind of taking the piss out of like me and Mr. Mustard and Paul Athena yeah. and all that? Okay. Yeah. But that little thing they were doing, that da, 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 that's totally John Lennon. Huh. I never noticed that before. I don't think I would have picked up on that, but now that you mention it, it's like I can see some of that.
It's still pretty good, even if it's supposed to be like no, a it's parody. Great song. Yeah. No, I, I love this song. I just never noticed that very specific little Beatles kind of chord change thing that they did there. Yeah. This almost feels kind of like some parts is like a, you know, like the kids from detention trying to make a prog band, you know, like <laughs> they're kind of like ambitious, but sort of thuggish at the same time. Sure. Sure. Yeah, it really does seem like there's like two types of songs on this album where it's like just kind of the weird experimental kind of dark ones and then just the like, hey, this is just a rock song. some MLK and Michael J. Fox samples. <laughs> what were they thinking? Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> I have a dream. I Axel would totally do that. <laughs> Jesus, that's so bad on that song. I, I got to that part and I was, I'm still not over it. I was like, dude, you gotta calm what down. What are you doing, Axel? Man. <laughs> Especially because all the songs album. Just, they're just like petty bullshit too. It's like, <laughs> yes. you're not you're like a martyr. I know. Um. I I wanted to end how the album ends because this one, like this album throws you for a lot of loops and then the end, this one almost throws you for a different kind of loop that this is like the last thing that I would expect this album to end (laughs) with. Um, I guess this is a cover of a guy named Rolf Harris who was sort of like a, he was Australian. He kind of like, he was like, he hosted TV shows and he was like, he did some music and he was a comedian, kind of like an old school entertainer type guy. Um, yeah, and this song is by him. It had didgeridoo on the original. It was kind of huh. inspired by Aboriginal and folk music, apparently. He also has another hit, which I really need to hear, and I think he will too, Dan. His other big hit was Tie Me Kangaroo, no, Tie Me Kangaroo Down Sport. <laughs> what? <laughs> Tie Me Kangaroo Down, comma, sport. He's oh, asking okay. you to help him. I think. Oh, I see. Okay. I get yeah. that now. I thought you were saying yeah. that kangaroo's name was Tie Me. No, Tie Me. Like, tie he wants me. you to tie up a kind of creepy he wants you to tie up a kangaroo i don't know why don't um, fathom but why this is sun this is sun arise what did you think about this song dan because this to me is like almost like the biggest left field part of this album it is because it kind of comes like uh what, what track is right before it is it the Dwight Dwight Fry? yeah and so it, it does kind of do that thing where it just like goes into it and i had to kind of do a double take when i looked I was like is this the same song and i was like oh no we, we, we morphed into another one here because it, it came out of nowhere and just the vibe is so different almost like beach boys kind of yeah positive it almost sounds like a was it Norman Greenbaum like Spirit in the Sky yeah it totally does that's actually a good reference for this I love that song yeah yeah me too so positive that's kind of a fun way to end this weird album yeah. you know it almost feels like a show tunes kind of thing where there's like the big like 
the chorus comes back to like do the like everyone bows and stuff, yeah. you know? At the yeah, end. yeah, totally. But um, I was hoping I thought you would probably like this, Dan. I was hoping because you know I, you're a big classic rock guy, as am I, and you know after a while it's like you know there's a, a finite amount of classic rock, right? Oh, yeah. And, so like when I discovered th- this happened twice once with Alice Cooper recently and a little bit before that with the Faces where it's like mm. I knew the Faces but I never really got into their albums and then I was like oh my god this band's great it's like a whole other classic rock band I can get into and then I kind of felt the same way when I got to into like Alice Cooper's like oh there's a ton of this stuff I haven't heard and it was just nice to have like new old stuff to listen to yeah and it, it's rare to find that where it's just like oh shit there's this whole discography you know because like you know I, for since I was a little kid it's like okay you got Skinner and Creedence and Beatles and Stones and Zeppelin and you kind of mine the depths there and get the hidden gems and all that stuff. But then there's only so many like, oh, I guess I could get really into Seeger or Springsteen or, you know, find it's like once you've hit all the big ones, it's kind of hard to to find. Uh, Like, you know, recently, you know, uh, my wife is, you know, she's more into metal and things like that. So she's introduced me to like Sabbath and and stuff like that and and Alice in Chains and, and, you know, bands that I never really gave too much of a chance to. Oh, you never got into Sabbath? No, I never really did. Honestly, my entire taste in music was so formed by, like, bands that my dad approved of, basically. Uh, and, like, so my dad never liked Bowie because, like, he thought Bowie was too weird. He was like, well, why does he have two different eye colors? You know? Like, so it's like, <laughs> I, it was literally, like, a part of his reason he doesn't like Bowie. And so it wasn't until, like, college when I started being like, well, let me try listening to some bands that, you know, my dad didn't approve of. And it's like, oh, it turns out there's other stuff out there. Bowie really had two different colored eyes, though. It wasn't, like, context, was it? I know, but my dad, I think he thought, like, oh, he's just being weird to be weird. How you dare know? you be, are born that way? Yeah, I, I distinctly <laughs> so remember. I remember in, like, the early No, 90s, I mean, knowing your dad, it's like, this all makes total sense. Oh, like, believe, yeah, you've, yeah, you've spent some time with my dad. Yeah, yeah, like, for yeah, sure. Uh, in, like, the early 90s when I was in probably, like, second, third grade, like, Smashing Pumpkins and Rage Against the Machine were starting to get big. And I was into what I heard, and I, but I always felt like I had to get my dad's approval because he had such strong opinions about music. And I was like, Dad, what do you think about Smashing Pumpkins and Rage Against the Machine? He's like, well, it is technically music because, uh, you know, they are playing guitars and singing, but it's like, it's not, it's not like real music. And I was like, okay, well, wow. I guess I can't like them. Wow, tough crowd, Paul. He acknowledged that it was technically music, though. Well, that's, that's just the that's first start. That's an important part of being yeah, music. music. Yeah. <laughs> being acknowledged by your dad. Um, yeah. Uh, well, this was fun. Um, I'm, this was a good discussion. It was actually, I had a lot of fun. You know, I listened to Chinese Democracy a few times when it came out, and it's been a long time uh, since I listened to it. I don't think I went back. So it was definitely, it's a fascinating album, I, I would say, is the word I would, I wouldn't say good, I would say fascinating. Yes. Um, and, you know, I'm glad you guys like Cooper, man. This was fun. Jason's mom is going to be happy about this episode. <laughs> um, and uh, Jason Once she figures out how to listen to podcasts. Well, yeah. 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 My mom's never listened to it either. I don't expect her to. Um, <laughs> uh, should we do some uh, community questions, Jason? Yeah, if you got time, Dan, we're uh, yeah, we're totally. queued up. Uh, yeah, but first, um, hey, listener, this uh, show is free to listen to, but it's also part of the MidMax Network, which is a Patreon about games, friends, and getting better, and uh, music as well. Crossfade supporters get to ask our guests questions. They get to share cool new music in our Discord server. They join game clubs and live streams and a whole lot more stuff that's always evolving to match what the community wants to see from us. In fact, the questions you're about to hear come straight from our Patreon supporters. So go to patreon.com slash minmax, that's min with two N's, and check out the goods there. Uh, now, here's the first question. God's Garage, well, actually, I should say, uh, this question is predicated on an understanding of content you've previously put out, apparently, Dan. Um, 
uh, God's Garage says that, uh, as you put it, games can be talky and games can be dewy. Mm-hmm. Do you mind explaining that real quick before we uh, yeah. get into the actual question? This comes from uh, my video game podcast, The Fire Escape Cast, and uh, myself and my co-host, uh, Mary Kish. Marty's, Mike Marty's also on this, but me and Mary oh, both nice. agree. And uh, it, well, it is uh, games. I Matt, you'll get this reference. I'm like the opposite of Matt Miller at Game Informer, who is like the <laughs> yeah, most yeah. like he will go into like a, a six hour explanation stuff. of the lore of like Eat Lead, the return of Matt Hazard. Like every yeah. game, I feel like he knows the deep lore of every grimoire card of Destiny and like yeah. is deeply invested in lore. He'll like he'll like read the novels of like exactly Halo those cheapy and, paperbacks of like Assassin's Creed side stories and stuff. Yeah. Whereas, like, video games have been my entire life, my whole life, pretty much. But I just, I can count the amount of video game stories I give a shit about on, like, one hand. I just think games are bad at stories most of the time. I love fucking Metal Gear. And Metal Gear is dumb as fuck, too. So it's like, I just, <laughs> I don't skip cutscenes, but I feel like every time I'm watching a cutscene in the game, I'm just like, okay, let's get to the part where I'm doing something. So, like, there is, we always talk about, like, the talky-dewy spectrum. Like, you know, where it's like, okay, is this a talky game or is this a dewy game? Like, you know, like a, a telltale, like when everybody was freaking the fuck out about Walking Dead, I remember being like, I fucking hate this game. This game sucks because like the game part of it sucks. So I like Dewey games. I like Mario. I like Zelda. I like doing Tetris, Picross. I, I like action yeah, yeah. in video games. You know, I'll gotcha. watch movies for storytelling. So that that's where I talking get that. Yeah, comes that makes from. sense. Yeah. OK, more more mechanics than narrative then. Yeah. Uh, what? So what then uh, God's Garage asks is the most Dewey musical album, you know? I guess I would say uh, maybe like any Motorhead album. <laughs> yeah, like, Motorhead's okay. not big on fucking around. They just kind of get in there, do the Motorhead thing, and get out. You know, they're yeah. not. Uh, they're, there's no lore there, really. It's no, just, yeah, they're they're all action. Ramones would be another one. Uh, yes, yes, Ramones totally. They're even and the, the, they, I see the uh, Ramones and Motorhead as kind of sister bands. I know that they were big admirers of each other as well. Um, do you remember when i for gi spy the part in the magazine where we would like have pictures of the that was fun yeah yeah i got a picture with i snuck backstage at a motorhead concert and got a picture with lemmy and lemmy was playing a rts game on his ipad and i'm doing the dumb drunk like point like "Ah, i'm with lemmy and lemmy's just staring like looks like he wants to be anywhere else and just play his like conquer clone and i remember i like handed it to mark yapava to put into the magazine and you're like you know, Dan, this isn't like working at Game Informer isn't the make a wish for Dan Reichert Foundation. Oh, <laughs> it's just like right, you're just right. using it as a way to like sneak backstage uh, yeah. at things was, and get pictures. <laughs> I was like fed up with you about something you were bugging I, me about and I just couldn't remember. Uh, I don't remember what it was. You want to go somewhere that had no use for the magazine at all. <laughs> it was just and, some uh, dumb thing I wanted yeah, to do. Yeah, some video game company was like, oh, go jet ski for no reason. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah. Uh, hey, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'd say, what about talkie then? What about talkie? Oh, talky! What uh, boy? I don't even like what. I, I'm assuming. I'm assuming that would be records that like are kind of up their own ass. Maybe uh, like a passion project of some egomaniacal fifty year veteran of the rock industry. Is there some like late records? Pink Floyd albums or anything? That's that's I could never oh, super God, get into yeah. Pink Floyd. The last Pink Floyd album, the final cut, is horrible. Really? And that's Roger Waters. It is most like just intolerably mm. pretentious, and like his bass level of pretentious is so high. Like you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the, the, the final cut. That's a dire album. I, feel I don't know. Despite, like, it's hard to, despite liking a lot of their songs, I feel like can't Talking Heads kind of get like that. Oh yeah, yeah. They're like art school kids. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like I don't. My patience for that is like fucking zero. I mean, I'm pretty sure they met at that Rhode Island art school. Yeah, <laughs> like they're legit art school kids for sure. That's a good one, actually. <laughs> I, I'm a big. I'm a huge fan of them. But I, they're I good. Like that yeah, stuff like, they have great songs. Yeah. But it's just like I, I just yeah. feel like I would be very. Uh, annoyed having conversations yeah. with them. 
I know I probably talked about be this on board the podcast that, yeah. before, but like Motorhead was the one time with like a couple two shows where I was like, man, I might have done my hearing in real bad. <laughs> I've been to a couple I, Motorhead shows. I, 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 and it was at the main room, and that's a small room for those guys. And oof, mm-hmm. that was like you could feel that just kick drum right in your chest, like somebody's just you know thumping you. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I've, seen, man, I've seen them at like First Ave, and I also saw them at like a casino in Kansas City once, and like yeah, they're loud as fuck. Uh, okay, so White Mex um, wants to know, Dan, can we get your dad to listen to a rap album and live tweet it as well? This is <sighs> probably predicated on something that your dad did. Yeah, I uh, gave him a $50 Chipotle gift card to live tweet <laughs> Cats, the movie. Um, oh, my God. Which was a good time. Uh, he was like getting drunk at like 2 in the afternoon to uh, to do that. Uh, because again, that's like his level of, of tolerance for anything artsy is, is zero as well. And oh, God, I watch cats for the podcast and it's so fucking bad. But anyway, um, <laughs> I don't I think he would admit that like he just doesn't like rap is not for him. It's not like he is very much just that Kansas middle aged white guy listening to Bob Seger. And it's just like that is his wheelhouse. Like if he, he can't deal with Bowie because Bowie is too outside of like the classic <laughs> rock. So it's just like I think with rap, he doesn't like. I think he just accepts that he doesn't get it. Yeah, at one point, I remember he heard uh, 99 Problems at a pool hall, and he's like, you know what? That was actually pretty catchy. I like that 99 Problems song. So Okay. He's not that's kind of a That has a big guitar, like, uh, uh, kind of yeah. like ACDC kind of riff to it, though. Maybe yeah, I think, he, he, I think he kind of got it with that, but like, I don't think he'd be sitting around listening to like Ready to Die or anything. Got to respect a man who knows what he's about. Yeah. Uh, one after one after nine oh nine says, "Man, have I missed this podcast? Thank you so much." One after nine oh nine. Uh, simple question, and I'm sorry I didn't actually send this one to you guys, but it is pretty simple. Uh, what was your favorite album or song of last year? What jumps out? I'll be honest. I don't know if I listened to a new album or song last year. Oh, really? I mean, I don't. I'm pretty bad about listening to new music or music in general. Honestly, I, I kind of just like. <laughs> Went so hard on my dad's stuff growing up, and then, like, you know, Bianca's introduced me to a lot of stuff that I didn't realize that, like, Megadeth and stuff like that, but certainly, like, not a lot of new stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I saw Gojira in concert with her, uh, like, six months ago or so, and they were good, but, like, Hell I yeah. couldn't name a uh, album that came out in 2021 that I listened to, no. Matt, was there anything that caught your ear last year? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I listen to a lot of new music. Now I'm just t- drawing a blank. Um I know um, the Weather Station released a record. I did last like the year, Weather right? Station record. Um, I mean, I liked a lot. Of, I bought records. I don't know. I always hate when I'm on the spot. I should have thought about this. Um, <laughs> I I should have sent it to you guys. <laughs> no, you did. I just didn't like think of something. Uh, I don't know. I'm gonna have to pass. I'll think of something later. Well, there's a whole year to think about. That's it. true. Uh, Mike Mike Lynch says, "Welcome back, Matt and Jason. Thank you so much, and welcome to the show, Dan." Uh, first, uh, Mike did point out that, uh, Chinese democracy sounds like the song defile you by defiler, which is Adriana's band from the Sopranos. Um, <laughs> just have to, just have to trust him on that one. In your opinion, uh, what band or artist had the most interesting music style conversion? And I think uh, Mike is describing like a pivot in their career. Uh, for him, it's Tom Waits' transition from quote unquote, Billy Joel at a shittier bar to something like a carnival barker. Can you think of any sort of, uh, genre pivots that artists have gone through that actually is like. We're, we're really good, Matt. Um, yeah, pivots. Uh, well, he just came to mind because we I mean, just like, talked about him. Bowie. Obviously, mm-hmm, yeah, was mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. the first one. That he comes did that to, a bunch. Yeah, too. and he, but that's almost like the most cliche answer. Um, Dylan's another one. You know, going from folk to electric was a huge deal. To Christian, 
Yeah, the Christian. Oh, yeah. I like those Christian albums, actually. I'm a fan There's of those. There's some good stuff on there. Yeah, there are. Those are underrated. Um, so those would be the like pretty obvious ones. I'm trying to think of a band that like um, did a real, like mid, the mid-career ones are what's kind of interesting to me. Oh, you know what? You know, uh, mm-hmm. Radiohead would be another one on Kid okay, A, and okay. they kind of went from like more of a guitar band to like more of a electric you know electronic influence kind of thing that was more groove based mm-hmm. i'm a i'm a big big fan of those records so that i mean that would be my pick that that was a good one i mean okay. i wrote bowie down but also the other ones like the most obvious i think is the beatles where you know just going from those early mm-hmm. records to the more kind of like yeah. drug psychedelic stuff like that was just and it worked you know i find those more interesting but like even kind of that middle like revolver period and everything i think that's when some of the best stuff is that's my favorite did you watch the um let it be thing We've watched a lot of. I haven't watched all of it. I can't remember if we watched all of part one or if we got into part two. But it's just fascinating seeing that candid footage. Mm -hmm. It's it's really really cool. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It wasn't. It was to be a fly on the wall was cool. Yeah. Though, man, I don't know some of those like some of those songs. I don't know if I'm going to listen to those ever again. (laughs) Like so so many takes of like uh, uh, like the song "Get Back." I I bet you hear that fifty times if you hear it once. Yes, but it was, they're trying it was to figure awesome. out like what town in Arizona or whatever to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. they keep mm-hmm. changing little things. And yeah, then they do it again, and like they always have to be goofy and do it in like a dumb voice. Yes, it's like come on, let's wrap it up, guys. Come on, yes. We're, tapes rolling. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, anyway, though, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, Owen McCarter wants to know what long running band do you wish would just stop making music and just retire already, Dan? Uh, I don't need to hear any more ACDC songs. Um, I feel like I, I get it. Uh, I like them, but I get it. Uh, I would have, I'll say Metallica now because there was a while that I was like, had faith in them. Like, I really like Death Magnetic, especially after like St. Yeah. Anger and all that. Like, I was just like, Death Magnetic to me felt like a Metallica album again. And so yeah, I, I got really good. excited for uh, Hardwired to Self Destruct. And then it came out and I was like, I don't think I like these songs at all. So I think I'm I'm ready for like, Death Magnetic to just be like their last good one I liked. And then they can fade away and just do whatever they do. Dan, do you use like Apple? Do you use Spotify or Apple or I anything? Use Spotify, yeah. I made a single, like a hardware itself to search like a double CD. I made like a single album edit of that that I think is actually pretty good. When oh, it's really? shorter, and I cut out like the songs that I felt like were kind of the substandard songs. Oh. And it's just like a tight, like maybe eight songs kind of thing. That's cool. I've always wanted to do that with Use Your Illusion one and two. I've tried. It's really hard. Yeah, because all the good ones are like nine minutes long. Yeah, and then but the one's like, well, there's a lot of filler, but then you start going through and you're like, no, man, I like that song. I like that song. Yeah. That one's good, too. And there's not as much filler as you think, actually. And there's still My World. Well, there's My World, yes. <laughs> actually, that My World, uh, that's the precursor to yes. Chinese democracy. Which is far. fitting because it was the last track on User Illusion 2, so it was the last original track they yep. did before Chinese democracy. That that song definitely would have fit in better on this album we listened to yeah. today than on Use Your Illusion for sure. Psychopsychotic state of bliss. Yeah, God, so dumb. shut up. <laughs> uh, oh man, <laughs> uh, I don't. I guess uh, I'm kind of like on on bands retiring. I used to feel that way, and now I just feel like if they want to keep going, they should just do it. If they're having fun with it, you know what I mean. It doesn't hurt me. Like I, I'll just ignore their new stuff, and you know, if they want to do shows and people come to them, it's fine. I just I used to be like really adamant about that like oh they're ruining it and i'm like the old stuff's still there the new stuff doesn't erase the stuff that was great and so i'm kind of more laissez-faire about it now i just feel like hey you know 
I, I'm less annoyed by it when it's like quaint, when it's like, oh, Robert Plant wants to make some little albums with like Alison Krauss or whatever. Good for him. Let him keep doing his thing. It's when it's like Metallica. It's like the new Metallica album or ACDC's yeah. back. And it's like, oh, shut up. No, they're not. You know? And and truly, I mean, not to be too like psychological or whatever, but I truly think for some of these guys, you know, a guy like Keith Richards, what is he going to do? Right. He hasn't had a job since he was 15. He hasn't lived a normal life since he was 15. You know, it's like. Yeah. I think a lot of these old, like long running bands, they just every few years they feel like they just want to tour because it's what they, they don't want to do with themselves, and like they're way too old to do anything else, you know. And it's like old wrestlers can, when they retire. It's like what the fuck? Yeah. Do I do? I've been on the road for thirty fucking years. And then you then you you put out some feelers, and they're like, yeah, you can make like you know six months, you can yes. make like fifty million dollars, and they're like, okay, well, yeah, <laughs> like it beats sitting out on the patio, you know what I mean? Yeah, I totally get it. Like I, I see why like ACDC and Metallica or even the Stones now would do it. Like it makes perfect sense. It's just like I rarely does it result in like good albums. But I was actually I wanted to talk to you when he died too. When Charlie now I feel like the Stones is kind of over for me mm, yeah. as like the actual band without Charlie. Sure. I feel like they, they could always like move pieces and like Ron Wood was kind of from their era and the faces are a great band and you know, um, and they've had Daryl Jones in forever, but I don't know. I just, I just feel like without Charlie on drums, it just doesn't have that same feel of the Stones yeah, to me. But as long as they have Mick and Keith, I think they can That's always true, yeah. say like, Hey, we are the Stones, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dan, this one's for you too. Bob Buell or something. I don't know. And that is his entire username. Uh, I don't know why Bob did that to himself. Bob, you have an identity. You should uh, you should really step up. I've to been that. on Bob's podcast. Um, he's very pleasant. Yeah, as yeah. have I. He's he's quite a man. Yeah, I like him. Um, yeah, he's great. I'm halfway through your episode of that podcast. By the way, Matt, uh, I will finish it. I will learn more about you than you really. <laughs> I ever felt like I was coming. really ill prepared, like for some of them. I, I, <laughs> I wish I had do overs on some of them. Hey, go back for ninety nine more questions. Oh, um, uh, Dan, what is the so the background here is? Uh, of course, you talked about. Um, uh, being more into classical music, or not classical music, but classic rock. <laughs> That's totally Dan. Rock. Like, I, no, honestly, old, I like old, classical yeah. music. I'll, I'm not, a, okay. not an we'll expert. We'll get you to expound on I'll, I'll put on some Chopin <laughs> or some Vivaldi and get some writing done. Ooh, It is good for writing. It's always been good for writing. I, I do classical or like John Carpenter. <laughs> That's pretty much what I write to. <laughs> Uh, so with that in mind, um, what is the most arm, excuse me, modern artist or song you find yourself really enjoying these that, days? That's easy. Uh, the band that in the last 20 plus years that I've listened to and enjoy the most is Queens of the Stone Age. I, uh, ah, yes. Hell yeah. I just for, love those guys. Yeah. We, uh, we did a, an episode on uh, Songs for the Deaf. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that was the one I, I had never heard of them until um, No One Knows got huge when I was in college. And then oh, I went back and got rated R and self-titled. And I was like, I love every fucking track is great here. And then like, even as they, you know, like not every album, like lullabies isn't like the best and like the latest one villains, you know, like, but everyone has at least like three or four tracks that I love. And occasionally you'll get like a like clockwork or era vulgaris where it's like, God damn, yeah. I love almost every song but on here. Did you ever listen to the first two before songs? Like rated self-titled R. and rated R. Yeah. They're incredible. Yeah, those are amazing oh that the self-titled like every single track is incredible yeah right there is amazing they they are kind of like one of the like n- they feel like one of the only like new classic rock bands you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah like yeah. there's not many and i'd be game for it. like if there were more bands like them out there i would probably get into it but it's just like i i've tried with a lot of different bands and uh they're the one that has really just kind of stuck with me so like easy favorite band of the last 20 plus years hey dan i'm gonna i almost picked this because i thought you may like it um Try the album. It's a band called Black Mountain. Okay. The album is called Wilderness Heart from 2010. Wilderness Heart. Okay, I'm writing it down. That's, just check it out. I mean, you may like it, you may not, but 
they have a little bit of that vibe. Okay. Yeah, I always hated it when like these bands would come along like in the like two thousands that everyone's like, Oh, it's a throwback. It's like Jet or Wolf Mother. It's like, man, it's like Classic Rock's back or who's the fucking band that like sounded like Led Zeppelin a few years ago that a bunch oh, of people... uh, oh, you're thinking of Greta Van Greta Van yes. the band that everybody fucking hates. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I remember they were on SNL and it's just like I don't know, like so many of these classic rock throwbacks just feel really like manufactured to me. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. Whereas like Queens of the Stone Age just felt very genuine and that's that's why I took to them. Yes, totally. I totally know what you mean. And they they're they're modern in ways too. It's not like they just mm-hmm. sound like a sixties band or a seventies band, but right. they have elements of that. Yep, yep. All right. Um Podbot with our last question, he says, uh or they say, Hey y'all, very happy you're back. Thank you very much. Um, do you listen to music to relax? And if so, what artists or genres do you listen to? I think we heard a little bit of that from you, Dan, just a minute ago. Um, yeah, that's more like writing, um, which honestly, I don't do a ton of writing these days. Um, I also don't really relax a lot and it's not really, like, I'm not really like a low key guy. I don't <laughs> I believe think. that. Yeah. I yeah. usually, I kind of wake up with a ton of energy and I, I, I kind of keep that going throughout the day. Um, but I'd say one of the more relaxing bands I like is uh, Florence and the Machine. I, I really, uh, really like that stuff a lot. So like, every, I saw every... them in concert. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. How are they? Well, like? was a, she was great. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I was like going with somebody that was like a, a super fan. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah. I was kind of along for the ride. Um, but I, I was kind of won over by her energy on stage and her yeah. voice. I mean, it, it's not necessarily totally my jam, but. Um, after that, I listened to him a bit, and I, I was. She's a very good performer. I will say that she's very energetic. She has her voice is like it's not studio voice. It's like she sings like that live too. That's awesome. Um, so her voice is incredible. if you like if you like her, I would I would recommend uh, seeing them live. I I don't. Sometimes you get dragged along in a concert, and it's kind of funny. You end up having like way more fun than you thought you were gonna have. Sure, yeah. Um, and that was definitely one of those for me. Nice. Yeah, I'd love to sometime. Nice. Uh, speaking of which, question for me. Um, do you guys have any concerts lined up for the rest of the year? Still a little apprehensive? Well, or? Jason, I think uh, there's Alice Cooper's coming to a casino in April. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, baby. So I'm actually, Is it the one over in Prior Lake? I think so. I think it might be Mystic. I'll, I'll look Mystic Lake. Um, but uh, it's kind of been on my bucket list. I want to see the, all the, you know, just the showmanship and the things exploding and, you know. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I might do that, but I just... I'm leery of buying concert tickets too far in advance right now. Yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of stuff. Understandable. Get canceled. Get like, canceled. Bianca loves going to concerts and has had a lot of uh, emails of like, sorry, this has been indefinitely postponed. So Yeah. Yeah, I've I've got some here in February that uh, are holding for right now, but we will we will see. Uh this week's community suggested song is Thin Lizzie's The Boys Are Back in Town, yeah. appropriately, uh as suggested by White Max, um, what's you guys' histories with this song? Uh, Dan, just is it just an ever long, uh, like permanent fixture of just really ripping rock? It is really ripping rock for sure. Uh, when it comes to Thin Lizzy, though, I'd probably put like there's probably like five songs I'd put above it. You know, between like Jailbreak and Cowboy Song Ooh, and Whiskey Cowboy Song is the jam. Cowboy Song is my favorite one. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I feel like Boys Are Back in Town is like that is the entry song to Thin Lizzy because that was just. That was in every fucking you know, Toy Story trailer and or Toy Story two and like you know like that's one of those things that you've just heard a million times whether you seek out classic rock or not and yes. if you're into it it's like there is a lot more Thin Lizzy there that you don't hear on the radio that is just a blast so uh, yeah I've yeah very fond feelings about Boys Are Back in Town I'm I'm surprised I don't hate it for how overplayed it is and how much mm-hmm. it's used in like commercials and movies like I it's just a great song and there actually we were talking about you know classic rock bands that a lot of people don't know a lot of their stuff like. 
Thin Lizzy has a deep catalog too. Mm-hmm. And I don't know it as well as I should, but they have a lot of cool stuff that yeah. isn't, you know, off. They kind of have that one album, Jailbreak, that everybody knows, but they have a ton of good albums that, you know, weren't as popular. Even like later stuff, like uh, Cold Sweat, they've got some really, really solid stuff, like right before Phil died. Uh, yeah, I I did a deep dive on, on Thin Lizzy back when I lived in Minneapolis. And Was it really, Johnny, Johnny the Fox? Is that yeah. Album? That's a good one. Yeah, really, really uh, grew to appreciate them a lot. Yeah, Phil, Phil Linnett, man, he was, rest in peace. What an yeah. amazing front man, bass player. Um, I, Blew my mind to know that he was playing bass in that track, too, while singing. Oh, yeah, I know. What a, so, what a, what a talent. Um, well, I'll let that play as we go out here. Uh, Matt, you can give us the outro as the boys are back in town. Yeah, well, hey, everybody, thanks for coming back uh, to listen to the show. We're excited to be back, and we're going to be doing some different things uh trying to some new formats and things we're going to experiment and still obviously having great guests like dan uh dan thanks so much man it was really fun it was just fun to hang out man it was really it was a blast always as soon as uh, you asked i was like oh my god yeah i'm absolutely yeah. there and please you know if you're going to be in town at all like let me know in advance because it'd, oh. be, it'd be fun to hook up for sure yeah well yeah that last time getting beers at the at spring street i would love to do that again yeah yeah absolutely so we thank you all for listening we thank min max ben hansen our svengali <laughs> um, go to patreon.com slash minmax uh, to support everything that uh, that we're doing to make fun uh, online content for everybody. So take care, and um, it's good to be back.